6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 73 through 80. But God is the judge, he putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is full of mixture, and he poureth out the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them, and I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Now horn is a classic idiom for strength or authority. Obviously the power of an animal was determined by the use of its horn, but that became an idiom of, of, of strength or authority or wicked. Okay. Some of these are very short, so let's relax. There is a sequence. Psalm 74 was a cry for help. Arise, O God. 75 was a song of thanks for God's deliverance out of the clutches of some northern power. And that could fit any of a number of situations. Some people recall the Assyrians coming down against Hezekiah. There's much to say about that in uh, Scripture. But uh, the north was always the avenue of exposure to Jerusalem. But the now... Uh, so they couldn't get help out of the east or the west. Or the, so the north was the trouble. Come, Russia will come from the north in Ezekiel 38. Many people see that starting to take shape in front of us here. So we'll watch and see. So the next psalm shows the Lord Jesus reigning in his kingdom as king and priest, the true Melchizedek. See the pattern here. I think that's kind of interesting. So uh, it may have an eschatological overtone. It may not. I'll leave that up to you. Again, to the chief musician on Neganoth, which is a stringed instrument, a psalm or song of Asaph. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. And uh, in Salem, which is the earlier ancient name for Jerusalem, um, Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. That can be seen several. Israel can be seen as the broader term. It can also be seen as the northern kingdom versus the southern kingdom, depending... Uh, that all comes later, of course. In Salem, also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. And uh, this has overtones of the divided kingdom because the northern kingdom called itself is the house of Israel. But you remember the woman at the well with Jesus. You know where where do we where do we should we worship? And Jesus ultimately gets to the point that it's of the Jews in Zion. There break he the arrows of the bow. The shield, the sword, and the battle. Selah. You know, we keep hearing Isaiah 2.4 is quoted so often in the news and so forth. They shall beat their shares into plowshares and her spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn any more war anymore. Right? Uh, we better not apply that um, to the UN because it doesn't fit. Okay? And uh, so... No, they break, it isn't going to, not until the Prince of Peace comes. And uh, this, the issue of a bow is going to come up again 
there is a term I was fascinated to discover in the Psalms called the deceitful bow. That term also occurs in Hosea. And uh, it intrigues me because in Revelation 6, verse 2, the white horseman carries a bow. And if you, if you uh, apply the principle of what they call expositional constancy, um, that bow is deceitful. Interesting. Our leader carries a sword, not a bow. Big difference. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted are spoiled. They have slept their sleep, and none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse are cast into dead sleep. And uh, the mountains of prey, that refers, of course, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the probably been the most preyed upon city of ancient times. It has been preyed upon 27 times has Jerusalem been invaded or taken over or whatever. And of course, uh, verse f uh, 5 here, speaking of men of uh, you know, uh, being slept and so forth, the whole world lies asleep in whose arms? The wicked one. 1 John 5, 19, for those of you who want to reference on that. And... Uh, Thou, even thou, art to be feared, and who may stand in thy sight when, when once thou art angry? <laughs> That's a good question. When God gets angry, watch out, huh? Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. The God rose to judgment and to save all the meek of the earth. Selah. There's that pause again. And... Uh, I'm reminded by this with, of Revelation 6, 17, where John says, for the great day of his wrath, the wrath of the Lamb, has come. And who shall be able to stand? It's the same thought here. A.W. Tozer made a great remark in this flavor. He said, no one can know the true grace of God who hasn't first known the fear of God. I want to think about that. You know, we tend to be so comfortable in the grace of God and His mercy and the benefits He showers upon us. We do need to understand and apprehend the fear of God. That really comes first. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of the wrath shalt thou restrain. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. You know, today... Man is being restrained. Doesn't seem like it at times, does it? But we know the restrainer is still operative. The restrainer, the Holy Spirit. Nothing else can restrain the world today. But the day will come when he's going to be removed. During the Great Tribulation, the restrainer is removed. And boy, then man will go to the limit. Man will go to the limit. God is going to end up making the wrath of man praise him. Before it's all over. Wow is right. That says it all. You betcha. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible. Awesome might be a better term. To the kings of the earth. And that's that one. Let's go to Psalm 77. To the chief musician. Judethathan. Who also is known as Ethan earlier, by the way. There's three key guys. But you saw, often see four names. Ethan and Judethathan are the same two guys. Anyway. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. That's probably him finding a way to say that God is real and he's listening. 
We need to understand that. Simple idea. God is real and he is listening. And you need to prove it to yourself by trying that. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Absorb that. Thou should holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. My spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. Asaph's asking some questions here. My wife wrote a book called Faith in the Night Seasons. It deals with that time in your Christian experience where it seems that God has turned his receiver off. He ain't hearing you. You feel isolated. Very dark time. And yet that's God's way of bringing you into real intimacy, interestingly enough. Now Asaph here has actually asked six questions. Has he rejected us? What's the answer? Of course not. He's faithful to his word. Lamentations 3 by Jeremiah hammers that home. Will he ever again show favor to Israel? That's the plea of the apparently abandoned. Of course, the answer is yes, he will show favor to Israel. Psalm 30 dealt with that. Isaiah 60 deals with that. There's other passages. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? It seems that way sometimes. But no, Jeremiah, many verses you can assemble to answer each one of these. I threw a few out there, Jeremiah 31.3. Have his promises failed? Never, not at all. 1 Kings 8.56 and others are rebuttals to that. Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Of course not. Isaiah 49, God answers that. And is he so angry that he has shut up his compassions? Not at all. It may seem that way at times, and Asaph is being candid. We applaud his candor. At the same time, there's some myopia involved here. And of course, he's, he hasn't shut up his compassion. That's what Lamentations hammers. Asaph considers, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'll remember the works of the Lord. Surely I remember his, his, thy wonders of old. I'll meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? So Asaph's reminding himself of the incredible history that he is, his heritage has brought him to. That God has had his hand on the nation all along. And Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews mentions this too. We need to do the same thing. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more though, as we see the day approaching. One of the things we need to do as we get into some of these dark, reproachful times is to um, assemble. That's where, that's where you get the, that's the strength of the fellowship. 
Psalmist continues, Thou art God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. See again, the strength in the fellowship. We can look around this fellowship and see people that have been the beneficiary of miracles. We know God is active. That's, that's incredible encouragement. Incredible encouragement. Psalmist continues, The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So it's talking here, apparently making allusion to the crossing of the Red Sea. That would be one, one view of what's, what's in view here. There's some other conjectures. I'll, I'll, we'll just keep moving. Now let's get to Psalm 78. This is a little different kind of a psalm. This is what's called a history psalm. Psalm 78 is this way. Also Psalm 105, 106, 114, 135, 136 are history psalms. And um, this one is the history of Israel from Moses to David. And it's going to focus on the failure of the people, but the faithfulness of God. The failure of the people, the faithfulness of God. You know, Hegel is famous for his remark. He says, history teaches us that man learns nothing from history. <laughs> That's the way he expressed it. George Santayana said the same thing in another way. He says, those that cannot remember history are condemned to repeat it. <laughs> Let's take a look at the history psalm. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Concline thine ears to the words of my mouth. The word law, by the way, is Torah. The word Torah means law. It also means instruction. You see, some people say, well, you should keep the Torah. No, the word Torah it means instruction, so... It's not that simple. But anyway, to incline your ears to the words of my mouth, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Dark saying, what we would call a riddle or an enigma. Solomon collected them. We talked about that when we went through Proverbs. Which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from, our ch from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. You know, one of the great, great tragedies in our country is that we can't give our kids any instruction about our heritage because we didn't get any. Teachers can't teach in school because they don't know it. It's amazing how we've lost over several generations now any grasp, except in military families perhaps, of the incredible heritage of this country. It's evaporating. But what God is intended is for fathers, to you know, fathers and sons, you know, children to be taught by their parents all the way through. The wonderful works that God has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that, he sh that they should make, known to their, make them known to their children. That's the pattern. Interesting, the only, form of bi only biblical form of schooling is homeschooling. I just thought I'd throw that out for you to think about. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with thy God. 
So we're, we're going to talk about apostates all through here. The first group, the first verses 9 through 11, will deal with the northern kingdom that was established in rebellion. In, uh, to, uh, when uh, Rehoboam took over and raised the taxes, Jeroboam took the northern off, they rebelled, and they set up not only a separate entity, but a separate religion. Ephraim was the dominant area, and that, that tribe becomes idiomatic for the whole group. Ephraim was adopted and elevated to firstborn, you remember, by Jacob, when Joseph brought his two kids from Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim, but, but Jacob, by the Holy Spirit, uh, elevated Ephraim to the, the role of the firstborn. Joshua, Moses' successor, came from that tribe. Jeroboam, the founder of this northern kingdom, was, of course, from Ephraim. Even the tabernacle, for a while, stood at Shiloh, which is Ephraim. And it later will go to Nob, which is technically in Benjamin, and later to Gibeon before finally going to Jerusalem. But for a while there, Ephraim was the, the, a major center, if you will. So it talks about this here for a few verses. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. And uh, they kept not the covenant of God, and they refused to walk in his law. They forgot his works and his wonders that he showed them. So then we get to the next. We're now going to talk. He's going to, the psalmist is going to shift. He's going actually backwards in time. He's going to talk about the Exodus generation. That's the generation that died in the wilderness. Several million people. That those that were 20 and younger survived, but the rest passed off because they, they blew it. The lessons in the wilderness. Remember, they, they obviously had they'd forgotten the futility of the Egyptian gods that were demonstrated by the plagues in Egypt that got them out of Egypt. They forgot about all of that. Remember the water miracles? Striking the rock when they needed water twice. Exodus 17 and then Numbers 20. And... Uh, the giving of manna. All these things were going on during 38 years of wandering. Supernatural food being provided. They were not happy with that. They wanted fowl, right? So God gave them quail. You know, one of God's greatest judgments is to give us what we want. That happens, happened with them with quail. It often happens when there's an affair outside of marriage. They get judged by getting what they think they want and discovering... Now that's a judgment. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zom. He divided the sea, caused them to pass through, he made the waters to stand as a heap. Instead of just reminding them of these miracles that they all forget. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud on all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness, in fact twice, and gave them to drink as out of the great depths. And you know, at Jabal Allah, they found the rock that's been split and the incredible erosion that seems to have occurred there. Absolutely fascinating to get into that. He brought streams out of the rock and caused the waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God by their heart, asking, them, asking meat for their lust. Manna wasn't enough. They wanted meat. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, he did, all right. <laughs> well, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out, the streams overflowed. Can he give us bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. 
You remember that. It was one failure after another, then judgment and so on, all the way through. The book of Numbers, of course, is the profile of that. Though he had commanded the clouds from above, he opened the doors of heaven and it rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens and by his power he brought in the south wind. And he rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations, so they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. And they were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. Strange times. Strange times. For all this they sinned still, believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him. And they returned and inquired early after God. The word earnestly might be a better translation for, for early. They remember that God was the rock, the high God, the redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. So then he slips from after verse 39. He's going to go now talking about the repeating the lessons of Egypt itself. How oft they provoke him in the wilderness and they grieve him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day that he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. And had turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent divers sorts of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. He gave them also increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and the flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death but gave their life over to the pestilence. Those nine plagues... Ten if you count the death of the firstborn, but those plagues, incredible reading, Exodus 12 and following. And smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led them on safely, so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. <laughs> I always think, I'm always amused by, they always have these people say, well, there was a wind and the, the, the river was only three foot deep. That's how they got across. That sets the stage for an even bigger miracle to have the whole Egyptian army drown in three feet of water. That's it. <laughs> and the psalmist turns to the time of the judges, the third generation in Canaan that turned to idols. After Joshua, they did a pretty good job, they, but it was the generation after that. So the second generation didn't do bad. Third generation, book of Judges, Blew it. He brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which is his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them in inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. 
Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. There's that interesting expression. Deceitful bow. It occurs in Hosea 7 verse 16 and Revelation 6 verse 2. That might give us some clues as to why it is the white horseman in Revelation 6 being carrying a bow. Anyway, for they provoked him to anger with their high places, moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel. So that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which had been placed among men. He delivered his strength unto captivity and his glory to the enemy's hand. The book of Judges records seven different nations that invaded Israel. And God raises up judges and they, when they repent. And then the, and when people will, will, will turn to him, there was but just a continual sequence of failures. He gave his people over also into the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awaked as one out of a sleep and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. He's using that metaphorically as if he woke up and you know, got at it. He smote his enemies in the hinder parts. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we have a different way of saying it today, but I won't go there. And put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim. See, that's a rejection of the northern kingdom. But chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built a sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he hath established forever. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. And following the ewes, great with the young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And that's it. That's that psalm. Psalm 79. And this may, may speak of Israel. This is a prayer for God's people, of course, the nation of Israel. But it may apply most poignantly in the period yet to come. This terrible time of trouble that's yet to emerge. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music